1: Hello and welcome to Local Zero with Fraser and Becky.
0: Matt is on an important mission elsewhere for this episode, but we're delighted that Emma Fletcher, Director of Low Carbon Homes for Octopus, is joining us today to discuss her work and other work she's done in more detail.
1: Yes, in 2022, Swaffham and Pryor became the first village to develop a rural heat network, And Emma's work in this project helped prove that things like this really can be done. Today we explore some of the challenges and opportunities of implementing schemes like this across the UK. And we'll talk about the role of communities, local government, the private sector, and companies like Octopus.
0: But before we start today's episode, as always, a reminder to make sure that you've subscribed to Local Zero wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website, localzeropod.com, and follow us on x brackets twitter at local Zero Pod. Now, I don't know about you down in Cornwall, Becky, but certainly up in Scotland, temperatures have absolutely plummeted this week how is it how's it been feeling for yourself
1: it got cold I had to put trousers on for the first (laughs) time in ages (laughs) (laughs) not in my flip-flops anymore
0: you do wear alternatives
1: (laughs) you wear something (laughs) I wear shorts Fraser I've been in my denim shorts almost all the summer and my flip-flops and now I'm in my trousers and my hiking boots, and it's an unhappy state of affairs.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Well, yeah, you can tell you live a lot further south than I do. I've, I've just moved from regular trousers to, you know, highly insulated with long dons. <laughs> fabric first, that's the oh, approach.
1: Very true. But yes, it's, uh, it's definitely got me thinking about all things heating, because mm-hmm. we got our heat pump back in April, March, April earlier this year. And uh I've not really had to test it yet so we're getting a little bit nervous as it's starting to cool down so yeah very very much like heating is front of mind at the moment yeah
0: that, that's an exciting time I think we've we've been heating on for about a month or so now which to be fair we did just bring a new baby home we have to keep things things cozy in the house uh, we, we definitely need the heat just now but we are. We are on an oil boiler because we are out in the sticks in a very, very old house. So we've been looking at trying to get it, trying to get it switched over, ideally to a heat pump. But we are one of those, one of those houses that we keep getting told, you know, the radiators aren't right, the pipe's not right for it, which given the age of our house probably isn't, you know, just a, mm-hmm. just one of those things that actually is wrong in the assumption. There's probably a bit of work to do. However, the, the quotes that we've had for heat pumps have been outrageous
1: how much do they want from you i want to know
0: so the, the the full quote now we've had quotes from a couple of companies but the 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 most jarring quote that we got in total was 22000 pounds so that's heat pump wow. plus resizing radiators and pipes and all that kind of stuff as well um, which would leave us after Scottish government support, after the uplift that you get from Scottish government mm. uh, for being off gas grids, would leave us with still about eleven thousand pounds to to pay out of our own pocket. Wow! Which is um, it's it's quite steep.
1: Yeah, and it just it really does have you questioning how on earth are we going to see. All homes in the UK make this transition when we don't have support mechanisms that make it not even attractive for someone, but feasible, just purely feasible. It just feels like this is so far beyond reach. Um, And actually, Fraser, you know, this is my head's very much been in this space because the government's been... um, running a consultation recently about proposed changes to the boiler upgrade scheme and one of the questions in there was should, mm-hmm. uh, should the level of uh, support be different depending on your socioeconomic status and also depending on uh, well actually sorry that wasn't the, the question was should it should it vary and uh, you know our, our response was definitely like yes there are some very important socioeconomic factors to consider but also property factors you know and it, you're, you're just making that case in point very very well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's such a, an important thing as you're designing these kinds of grants and subsidies, which are really, really effective at getting people to to update technologies are or, or typically really effective. Mm. But as always, and we've highlighted before, Becky, on the podcast, we you run into those issues of, you know, one size will never fit all on this. So you, you do, you need to be... Uh, need to be thinking, thinking along more tailored lines, mm-hmm. um, especially when we're at that kind of that kind of cost. The other bit of insight from this, which I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. was that we had, like we see we had a couple of different uh, engineers, different companies come in and talk to us about it. Out of the, the two or three that we have spoken to and a couple we've spoken to separately, the, the willingness and the kind of enthusiasm for heat pumps at that level still varies massively. I don't think there's full industrial buy-in to that, to that transition yet, which is um, an issue that we're going to have to, to overcome to, to get this done, especially when you know you, you want engineers to be as far as possible, never to the detriment of anyone, but you want mm. upselling to be happening to some degree. You want this to be something that they're confident in, to give other people confidence in. And we're just not not quite there yet, I don't think, on the ground. I don't know what your experience was like, Becky.
1: Um, I ha- I had a similar experience to you, Fraser. In that we had a few people come in and do some quotes, and certainly, when folk came from organisations that that did heat pumps and boilers, their recommendation was just to to replace it like for like. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: when we we ended up going with a renewables only company so that specialized in not just heat pumps but also you know solar storage all those sorts of things so we we ended up going with with that company very mixed messaging that we got from across the industry and you know i'm working on a project right now looking just at kind of the retrofit supply chain and one of the things that i that i learned this week um was that a lot of these manufacturers and boiler manufacturers have sort of loyalty schemes for the industry mm. and so you're you're also working against this kind of inbuilt incentive you know like they to to put in these boilers so it is i think it's a really really challenging environment um particularly where most people won't know much about heat pumps uh probably if they're following the news they might hear some positive stuff they probably also hear some negative stuff and of course you know the ongoing um debate about hydrogen that is very much still in the media and social media as to, you know, as an alternative. I think it's a very confusing environment and we really need to see that buy-in more broadly across across the industry. And it's probably not helped by what feels like a lack of government standing behind energy efficiency.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that 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 wider piece. So this is this is something that we've we've shouted about for so long. And I know, I know a lot of our listeners are involved in the kind of energy policy space. Um, often, in spite of what feels like you know considerable resistance, a lot of the time at government level. But something we've said for so long is that you know that grand leadership, that that governing vision of here's where we want to get to, here are the things that we're going to support to to get there. That can be even just that message is is a, is an effective sort of kickstart. Right across that industry so everyone knows what they're working to. So when we had things like a few weeks ago with Rishi Sunak kind of rolling back on a couple of net zero commitments, it might not damage our ability to reach net zero by 2050 overall. And the CCC made that analysis recently as well. I think Chris Stark made that analysis last week. But if you don't have that commitment and it's clear and it's confident and well articulated, then you are going to end up with that kind of—it's not disagreement, but those those different perspectives and ideas of what's supposed to be happening—and none of that, of course, is helped um, by the compounding sort of mm. the cost of of electricity today as well, and our seeming Ill- inability to to address that, which is another thing that we're working on a bit um, in our in our day jobs when we're not gallivanting on podcasts, mm. um, to <laughs> to try and sort of again just align those factors a little bit, so that we all know we're on the we're we're in the same direction of travel, everyone knows the way that we're headed to bring down costs and bring benefits to, to people and places as, as far as we possibly can.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a really challenging space, I think. And in some ways I feel like that that lack of vision and leadership from our national government is putting even more onus onto local authorities and communities particularly to, to be a driving force, you know, and seeing a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of exciting and interesting community action in this space. I think for me, one of the big challenges that raises is is one of of equity because i think it's really exciting and brilliant where you do have those um community support schemes you know even community heat projects but a lot of that relies on voluntary action it relies on having the right people in the community that kind of spearhead all of that and i think that's really, really cool, but we've got to make sure that that doesn't just stay in its little niche, and that we end up then with potentially people that live in in communities that don't have that resourcing or capacity, getting left behind, and you know potentially paying for things that they just really, really can't afford.
0: Yeah, and we're we're seeing that more and more, right? In the in in separate working and, and people we've had on this podcast, such as the guest that we have in today, who we'll, we'll bring in shortly. Is examples of those types of projects of, of where communities again often, in spite of quite challenging sort of policy and, and regulatory circumstances, um, are making these kinds of things happen with with a with a bit more support and appreciation of uh, the role that that communities and and local places have to play, and they absolutely have to play mm. a role in this this mm. transition. I think we, we we could see some um, something something really sort of big and, and quite special happening. But I think on that note, Becky, that might be the, the perfect segue to, to bring in our guest.
2: Absolutely. Let's bring her on. Hello, my name is Emma Fletcher and I am the Low Carbon Homes Director at Octopus Energy.
1: Welcome to the show, Emma, and what a brilliant job title that is. I know that you come into, into your current role with, you know, over a decade of experience of working in this space, not least with the stuff that you've done in Swath and Prior. So I'm wondering maybe to get us kicked off, you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Like, How did you even get into working in this area in the first place? What was driving you uh, into,
2: into all of this work that you've been doing? So I don't think anybody naturally finds themselves here, but it was one of those evolutionary type scenarios so um, I was on maternity leave and I was pushing the plan around our village and I thought where are all the young people in the village so um, roll the clock forward I set up a community land trust and I decided to build eight homes to the village all on air source heat pumps I hastened to add 10 years ago <laughs> and then after I built these homes I thought hmm I've got a company right yeah I've got a company what else can I do with a community company that could work for the for for the village and I just hated oil I really hated oil. I hated all deliveries I was that person playing the mum card ringing up begging for oil when my oil tank had run dry you can't budget you have to pay by direct debit I hated oil and I just thought we've got to change this Mm -hmm. we have to be able to change this and I happened to hear an article a podcast on radio 4 about the island of egg in Scotland about how a guy retired there and he took them onto renewable electricity and I thought you know what if we treat our village like an island we may just have a, a crack at doing something and basically that's how the energy project started.
1: Wow that's really that's really amazing and so um I love I love that you're inspired by uh, by listening to a podcast it makes me it makes me feel very excited about what we do Fraser and <laughs> like maybe getting some some more inspiration out there um but so you'd never you'd never really interacted with heat pumps before was this was this all quite a new space to you so you said you'd been involved in like a land trust but but never really in the energy
2: space so the day job was working in construction right so designing homes building homes and we built homes to some fairly high standards but mainly dare I say it for the affordable housing market Mm -hmm. who have always been there pushing the boundaries and and I'd wanted to make sure that the homes we were building for the village, those people didn't have to be on oil. Yeah. So we we went down the air source heat pump and put solar on the roof. Mm. But we were, we were ahead of our time then and probably didn't think so. But I kept looking at stuff in like Germany or in particular Finland and Sweden and Denmark. I kept thinking, we're not new. We're not innovative. We're behind the curve, like seriously behind the curve. So, so I learned stuff through the day job. But I wasn't seeing it mainstream in the private homes. I was seeing it in the affordable homes. But I'm quite a stubborn person, I guess. And I thought there must be a better way of doing it, right? There must be a way that we could help people and also decarbonize at the same time. So, you know, fuel poverty seven, eight years ago was a thing as it is now, especially for oil communities. And then over time, it's been a sustainability thing for different people. And actually... Once you get into this space, you do become a bit of a geek. You have to hold yourself back a little bit because, you know, you can get into it. You can go down rabbit holes a bit, but but then you sort of find other people and, and you know, they give you inspiration and you push yourself on and, and, and you can always be doing more, right? So you can always be doing more and there's always a better idea out there. And so, you know, unashamedly, we have taken ideas from other places mashed them together and, and created something for our village. And then the delight is we're inspiring other villages to go and look and doing the same. And, and that's where the pleasure comes.
0: I think that's amazing. And I, I think the that, that sentiment, Emma, that actually a lot of these things already work really, really well in other places is something that we don't give enough credit to. And when we're trying to come up with new projects and new ideas here, I think that you don't need to reinvent the wheel all the time. But in saying that, I, on the on that project, something our listeners are um, intensely obsessed with are the practicalities of it. So I was wondering if you could talk us through a little bit about what's the actual process in terms of, you know, you've you've set up the company, you're working with people locally. What does the process look like of getting a project like this off the ground?
2: So for somebody like me that likes to go to A to G as quickly as possible, (laughs) irritating baby steps is the honest answer. (laughs) So, um, I just happened to be talking to a guy who said, I worked for a Danish company 10 years ago trying to bring this to the UK. So it's not like people hadn't tried before, right? Danes have been coming over here, not quite the invasion of the Vikings, but they have been trying to bring their, <laughs> their technology over to help us, right? And so um, and we just got chatting. And so we went and got our first grant. And that's an amazing opportunity because the first grant that we got. These funds are still available and the government have just opened that fund up again uh, and they've made it less about rural but more about communities anywhere. And for small amounts of money, we're talking £20,000, £30,000, a full 100% grant, you can take that and start the gem of an idea. And that is doing surveys around your village, see who's interested, that's talking to local authorities or landowners about land, if you want to put an energy centre somewhere, and dare I say it, just getting basic information together, like what are our options? So we came out with this, with this options report. And Mike and I had always decided no barriers to entry. Everybody in the village should be able to join. Big criteria. The same price, if not cheaper than oil, because we had to convince people to come onto to this. And, um, and actually, we didn't want to be burning anything. And then if we're really selfish, probably as a fourth point would be neither of us wanted to be collecting anything, opening gates, shoveling wood chips, doing something in our spare time, because we're kind of busy at the time with young families, right? So it had to be easy for us to do. And that one grant then just opened up a whole series of further grants. But we had to dovetail alongside the county council. But it happened that they were landowner in the village as well. So that's where we formed this coalition between, dare I say, the community and a public body. And then we bid for lots of different series of grants. Now, We never thought we were going to be successful, right? But every time we got another grant, it's like, right, let's do a trial borehole. Let's do some more community consultation. Let's do another event. And that has just been the way we've gone forward all the way along. Secure the money, the grant funding, and then actually move it to the next stage. And weirdly, COVID was our friend because at a time when we needed to work out like things, basic things like what boiler have you got in your house? How much oil do you use? How much heat do we need to produce your home? When everybody was at home, wow, people were so excited about doing a Zoom call and showing us their boiler. So, So take advantage of the situation you've got and max
1: it really. I love the story. Like it started as an idea. I love that it's developed into this partnership and and working with the council. And I, certainly, some of the stuff we've talked about on prior local zero pods has been the importance of, of the local authority and a lot of the work that is going on in this space. Um, as you know, alongside those community organisations, um, who else needed to be involved really to get this off the ground? So, have you seen uh, others joining in as you've been driving it forwards? And and how important has it been to bring the
2: uh, the private private sector along with you as well. So without a shadow of doubt, this project is not just about one person or even a small group of people. This is a project that has taken hundreds of different people at different stages to get to where we are now. In terms of the private sector, we appointed our own consultants in the first round of the reports um, by a regional who did a fantastic job. But as soon as we dovetailed with the council, then you get into more of the uh, public sector frameworks. So therefore, we had to use their framework and we started partnering With Bouygues Energy and Services, who are massive in France and no one had ever heard of in England. In fact, they're international, and they came along and they have effectively worked alongside us to design, build, and will now, ongoingly, run the energy centre. And that's been really important because, you know, when you're on the hook to actually run it, you're going to design it well. And so, all the way along, it's been an iterative process. And we've been quite cheeky as a community as well, right? We started off as being a low carbon system. And then when we thought, oh, we're getting somewhere, we turned, we tried to get it to net zero carbon system or at least completely off fossil fuels. And, and that has pushed the engineers out of their comfort zone. But actually, I think a bit of commercial realisation from a private body, as well as a community pushing harder, has actually been the success of the project. We know when to push a bit harder and tell the engineers they're, being over-cautious and factoring in a bit too much contingency. At the same time, they've held us back and said, right, we've got to lose this battle to win the war, right? So a healthy balance and a good dose of sort of realism helps with maybe the community who are quite ambitious.
1: I'd love to understand, you know, reflecting back on what Fraser was, uh, was asking about before about some of those practicalities, Along the along the journey that you've been on over the past, was it eight years now? It probably is eight years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you experienced um, any kind of major, major challenges uh, in doing this? Like what have been what have been some of those kind of hiccups that you've encountered and, and how did you
2: deal with them? So change is a really scary thing, right? And so being labelled as a first of its kind kind of project is sometimes helpful, but sometimes can be unhelpful. And I spent a lot of time thinking about how do we roll out change, societal change on a scale, and probably the biggest change looking backwards was the rollout of gas, but Actually, people were living in homes without central heating. So, of course, they were very welcoming of having gas into their homes and similarly in our village, oil into their homes because it made their lives better, right? So, trying to tell them to change when they've already got it good is actually quite hard. So, trying to convince people to do something that in their mind is the guinea pig project or doing something new is quite challenging. And no joke, we have had to win people over on almost a woman by woman, man by man type of basis going forwards we've wheeled this heat interface unit that goes on the wall of the house literally round in a festival trolley to show people look you get rid of your oil tank you get rid of your oil boiler and this tiny box basically sits in your house instead you know isn't this amazing we've spoken to people about the energy bills we found it really hard to get in front of the housing associations to start off with Um, and you know, they should be the ones that were desperate, but, but the way they're structured, their sustainability lead is in a head office elsewhere. And then it comes down to a local person on the ground who is overstretched, overworked, and they've got to communicate yet another thing to their tenants about what they would like to do. It's hard, right? Time is hard to find for people's time. How you communicate with people in a village. Yes, there's some people on the Facebook page. Other people read the village magazine. Some people don't read any of it. So communication really suddenly stood out. And, and weirdly, Mike and I as a community group and the rest of the community land trust really realised quite early on we needed even the basic thing like a logo and a website. Because you might be Mike and Emma that go down to the pub or whatever, but people think, well, what the hell do they know about all this, right? So weirdly, a logo and a website made us look professional and actually legit. So that's one of the first things I always say to people, look professional, get your comms sorted, get your communication strategy right, which which you guys as podcasters, right? You know, this is right up your street. That's exactly what you do. But but dare I say it to us, normal folk who, who don't always think about these things every day, that became really important. There's a lot of people out there that don't want to change and use climate change as an issue. So that can be a problem. And then there's also people who are just getting on with their lives. They have Awful things happening in their life, they just need to sort it out. They're too old, they think they're going to die before they need to change. Possibly not, statistically, people live quite a long time in our village, but you know, or they're thinking of moving house. Dare I say it, there's nearly always a reason why not to do something. It's much easier to justify why not rather than to just do. And so, therefore, encouraging people, showing them their neighbours were signing up, that they should join in, you know, a few things like the gas boilers, uh, sorry, the oil boiler ban in in 26. I know that's moved out now, but at the time, that was a genuinely live threat that what you're going to do to your house. Um, And the joy of this system, it was designed that every house could join, right? Every home can join and you don't have to do any major changes to your house. You're not going to have to pay for it up front. The project will pay for over the whole length of time. All you've got to do is just sign a bit of paper, say yes, and we'll come in and do the rest. And that's been a real learning curve. Make it easy for people. A one-stop shop. And also like the wheelie bin, right? In our village, um, if you put your wheelie bin out before six o'clock in the evening before the bin day, blimey you get some stiff stares in the village right you know it, and then if you've kept it out there after midday whew, those dog walkers they they can be harsh and they stare and glare at you right so there's no rule but actually you kind of do it and that's the sort of neighborhood criteria on this that oh my neighbor's joined oh, I probably should do it you know it, it's that societal sort of oh gotta gotta change and and that's been really important but you're never going to win everybody over. And what I've learned is if at least 50% of the people back you, you know what, you're pretty much onto the same thing. And the crazier the crazies get, actually, you're pretty much onto the right thing as well, because the more extreme their reasons for why you shouldn't be doing it, you know, you're getting under their skin and, and that kind of drives
0: you forward. I really like that framing of it. We On the on the podcast, we you talk a lot about positively about community action, and it can often sound very romantic and rose tinted. But the grind of it is is very, very real. And the the, the issues are very, very real as well. It's not always this shiny, inspirational thing. Um, but I, I guess on that, one of, the, one of the principles you mentioned, Emma, was that anyone can get involved. And also the, the fact that a lot of people are kind of just trying to get by, and that's fine. Against the, the backdrop of the last couple of years with rising energy prices, how, how effective has the project been in protecting people from that or otherwise? Have there been advantages to being a part of the project through that, through that crisis?
2: Without a shadow of a doubt, we were challenged with fuel poverty before any of these crises hit, right? We were totally challenged. So when you bring in energy prices, electricity prices as well for oil communities, they're double hit. So every reason why, I mean, goodness, the oil price went like literally crazy it went like up to 1 pound 30 a liter at one point you know when i first moved into the village i think i was paying 19 pence a liter average has been about 70 pence a liter you know at 1 pound 30 1 pound 40 that is crippling for people that have to go and fill a whole tank up with oil so i think you know these pressures on people have seen more people come to the project, so we have more people sign up all of a sudden. And then also, what's been really interesting is that, especially now we've got people on, and it's been proven. And even now we're charging a thousand pounds to join late. We have had so many people now join up. And so what it's taught me is, if you've got a good idea, you believe in it. You've got some early adopters which back you up, that you're not totally on your own and 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 you know really crazy um actually the people will come it's just some people take a lot longer to come they need to know it works they need to be happy it's working that somebody that they trust in our setting has got it and it works um, and really, boringly, you just turn on the tap, and guess what? Hot water comes out, you know. Um, and it's not the most exciting moment when you turn on, and that's the success is hot water. But to be honest, if they turn on the tap and cold water came out, we would know about it, right? So let's take the wins. The hot water's working. The central heating's working. And now we are seeing so many people come forward to a point we've put a halt on the project installing. Now we've got a big event this week to bring more people on board, so we can actually then regroup and. and and put people into relevant clusters to come back round and do the installs um, beginning early next year. So I won't want to say it's been a good thing that there's been an energy crisis for the project because that isn't the case. It's a terribly sad thing. But actually, in a point of crisis, we've given people options to do something right, to lower their bills, And actually protect the village in the long term in terms of our wider community aspects. You know, we've got to make sure young people want to keep living in our village. We've got to make sure our vulnerable are warm. And we've got to make sure that the older people in our village also realise that they have to invest in their housing stock too. So on every level, the project's achieved a lot more than we ever anticipated.
1: Just to shift the conversation a little bit, so you've taken up this um, role of low-carbon homes director at Octopus. Do you feel like you've been able to bring some of these learnings from Swarth and Pryor into your new role? I mean, maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about about what you're trying to to do now, and, and do you have sort of similar ambitions?
2: What it does combine is like 25 years of construction and development knowledge from the day job. It combines what I've learned from not the day job in the village and it's brought into focus something that I love doing, which is helping people change, and also maybe answering questions or achieving things that haven't been done before. So having personal ambition to want to change things quicker, faster. As I said, going from like A to G, Octopus has given me that ability to take everything fantastic that they were already doing and actually um, roll it out for people that I know in the industry who want to do something but didn't know how to, and actually talk to communities who have been struggling to maybe get some influence or get some sort of some traction going forwards on their projects. But also just influencing the wider professional bodies as well, your architects, your lawyers, all those other people that are out there in the ecosystem. So they could be advising their clients because... We are agnostic at the end of the day, you know. At the, we're, a, we're a data company. We have amazing tariffs. We can also come out and install your equipment like solar and air source and and heat pumps. We can come and do that, but we're never going to do every install in the country, right? So we just need to be encouraging people to be doing more. And what I've loved at Octopus is just the amount of people that just want to do things, get on and do it, and do the best for the customers. And that is totally where. The village project came from and literally, totally where I want to be. And we're having amazing conversations. We have got life changing technologies in our zero bills proposition, where especially for those in affordable homes to be able to move into a home, not have to pay an electricity bill for five years. And you can keep the heat on over winter. You can cook for your kids. You can run the washing machine to clean the kids clothes so they uniforms so they can go to school, your uniform for work. Just live in the house like you should do is, is is phenomenal and an amazing achievement by some really clever people who just through flexing when uh, you export or, or generate power that you can create this environment to remove bills. And, and so on the new bills, we've, we've, we've got that. But the real nut to crack is now in retrofit and actually encourage those people that have already got homes that they need to change and they can see benefits from it as well. And that's what I love. Taking everything that we're doing, rolling it all up and like utilising different parts of the Octoverse at different things for different positive outcomes. Like you,
1: I see one of the biggest challenges that we're facing over the next, you know, decade and probably longer is going to be around the retrofit side of things. Because we're not just talking about swapping out your gas boiler or your oil heating system for cleaner technology. We're also talking about you know things fundamental to your home in and of itself we're talking about energy efficiency we're talking about upgrades and just the sheer number of stakeholders involved in this space where and how are you taking action to try and address that what what's kind of
2: top on your priority list um to try and do something about this space it's not as easy as just swapping out a gas boiler right Weirdly, that's exactly where we're trying to get to, exactly where we're getting to with our air source heat pump. And the Cozy 6 that is coming through the system is currently in manufacture, is a high temperature air source heat pump. It is designed to be exactly as good as your gas gas, Uh, boiler in terms of performance but what we've been working really hard on is making the installation cost similar to a gas boiler right so we've worked out that we can get an install pretty much now for free for people under the government grant I mean when it was at five thousand pounds we were getting there but now at seven and a half we know we can And we've seen huge amounts of uptake literally in the last couple of weeks from customers and not even customers ringing up for installs, which is phenomenal. So despite everything that's going on in the world, we know that customers want something that is as good as the the gas boiler that can be rolled out. The real secret will be over this winter. And the challenge I put out there to all air source heat pump uh, installers is when the boiler goes wrong, it's normally the deepest, darkest point of winter, isn't it? It's the coldest, the bleakest. We've got to be able to respond as an industry for a 48 hour install, right? So that is something we need to get behind um, because otherwise people are just going to swap out for gas because it will be quicker, easier. They can just do it. Um, In terms of actually encouraging people to go ahead and, and move on. It's carrot and stick, right? We need both. And I think actually uh, education and talking at people's level, not on a high geek level, We need to show people this is what you do and also not penalise people for not doing everything day one. One of the things with the heating project is, is we've put the heating project in now and then you've got time to do your double glazing. You've got time to do some solar. You've got time to do some loft insulation because it works with your house now. So if we can swap in a high temperature heat pump, that's like your gas boiler now And as and when you've got some more money or you've saved up something or a new government grant or a new program comes in, then you can look at all the other bits to your property. But for most people, as you quite rightly say, ripping everything off the wall, installing internal wall insulation, rehanging radiators, redecorating a house, it might involve rewiring. That's a big proposition for so many homes to do. It's totally unrealistic. for those in the social housing sector, they are trying really hard. They are doing as much as they can as possible. But for those in the private market, I think for the majority of problems with all the cost of living crisis, you've just got to do the best you can do as, as quickly as you can. But we're there to help. We're there to help with tariffs as well, to help bring the cost of some of this new technology down with specific tariffs for air source or, or solar or electric car. But we just need to make it easy for people, easy to understand, easy to know what's right for your home, and also take people on a bit of a journey.
0: This is a this is a big question that we ask a lot, and we've asked it a few times on this podcast about that kind of the the, the private sector, particularly people on on lower incomes if they're living in rented accommodation or whatever it might be, how you how you support those people to transition. But I think even maybe a level a level below that, more foundationally. Um, it sounds like the work that Octopus is doing there's there's a lot on tariffs there, are a lot of very smart things with tariffs but when you talk about like the affordable housing programme and effectively neutralising bills over long periods of time do we need a wider sort of mindset shift away from tariff offerings and purely cost market type things? Are we thinking more now about services? Are we thinking more now about a journey rather than just a product?
2: Yeah, I think that's the right way to look at it that you know So there's always going to be political cycles, right? There's going to be different needs. But the one thing that everybody's agreed on is 2050. So if we start with 2050 and work backwards, we're all going to have to do certain things at certain points. So you can either do it straight away, or you could leap every five years, or you could do something when there's a change in your personal circumstances, right? So pulling it all the way back, you need to know what is the best your house can be. Or, or your your property or your flat or whatever. You need to know what could you do that makes it the very best. And that's, you know, not quite if money was no object, but but actually what's the best, most efficient way of getting your house the best it can be. And I think that's going to be really important over the next five years is how we help people understand that, not just the EPC, but what could I do um, that is cost effective as well as, as, as getting towards carbon zero. But I also think we, ha- we treat our customers as our customers and therefore we have extra help. So we have home helpers to come out and help you with this technology because once you've installed it, you've still got to run it right and understand how to run it. Uh, we've also got a team on our customer service team who are social workers and they really get vulnerable customers and can help them. If you've got a um, a vulnerable parent or a vulnerable um, uh, adult child that you you need some some help, we can have a second person named on a bill so you can be the named person to help out. And also, once we've got a smart meter and you've got this this you know uh, smart technology installed, we can actually take control of the systems as well. So you can just live your life, and if it's not playing ball, we will know we will know through our data that that something's not right be it the air source heat pumps not running w- correctly or there's some problem with the solar so weirdly you know being a data company once we have that data we can actually assist in how we manage these things going forward and again it's about making it easy understanding your customer and talking in a language that people understand but but that needs to come from everywhere. Right. You know, there's still reports coming out of government that say uh, we're going to reduce things like high carbon home fueling or something along those lines. But, you know, no one thinks I'm a high. I, you don't describe your oil as high carbon fuel or, or, or your LPG gas bottle. So no one thinks, oh, it doesn't relate to me because it's that's high carbon. Um of course it is, but we've got to change the language in which we talk. And I think that's going to be really important too.
1: You're right. It can be a very scary proposition and a very confusing proposition, This the switch that folk are embarking on. Um, I actually went through, you know, I'm like kicking myself that like, why did we get a heat pump back in, back in March rather than now uh, with all the changes going on? And then I remind myself, yes, it's because my heating system broke and, you know, we needed something. But I work in this space, and I found it very confusing and challenging. And finding the right companies and finding the right developers to, to kind of help me on that journey. Um, do you see Do you see Octopus as being, um, you know, bridging that gap and joining the dots for a lot of people, um, and bringing that kind of supply chain directly to customers? Are you Are you kind of positioning in that in that role where you can help navigate that journey then for a lot of folk?
2: So um, all the way through my career, I've always said there has to be an element of fun. Whatever you're doing, there has to be an element of fun. And I once spoke to an architect and he says, I talk about passion and he did it much better than me. Right. But but that's what we bring. We bring passion and understanding of this sector. Right. And the octopus is there. So people see the brand and they kind of know what they're going to get. And the brand and the octopus stands for customer quality and it stands for us doing the right thing. So I think that is going to be the most important thing for us going forward and is often something that's said to us. Can can you actually keep this up as you're scaling up? And and the honest answer is, yes, we can, because the way that we grow, the way that and the passion that we've grown and the people around us, we are so customer focused in doing the right thing. That actually people are always wanting to go that extra mile and help people. All of the people in our call centers are trained so that you're not pushed from pillar to post. They understand the whole system. It's the most amazing um, induction I've ever been on in terms of understanding how a company operates and all the things we offer. So when you ring up, you get a person. When you email in, you get a person in response. So you actually have somebody to talk to. And so, to date, that's been our Spidey, our Spidey sense. That's been our secret sauce. And I think actually going forward, that is the thing that people are going to need more and more. And and we're here willing to do that. Um, sure, our our our, uh, our, our competitors are going to kind of chase behind us, wanting to do that as well, right? And actually, great because the market needed to get ahead and be following us. And the more people that are doing stuff, better. Um, the quicker we can go on this transition. The more people who are with other service providers changing mean there's more people in the community that are making a change, which means there's more neighbours taking a look, thinking my neighbour's got solar panels, I need solar panels on my house. This is not a one stop shop. We cannot be the answer to all the problems as one company. But we can inspire a group of people to do things better and we can inspire other companies to chase us and do things better. And guess what? That keeps us fresh, right? That keeps us pushing forward, driving forward, wanting to be head of the game, which can only be a good thing.
0: So I guess just wrapping it back round to where we, effectively where we started off on the, the local level, on the, on the community level, as someone who has now worked kind of right across from community up to this sort of higher level, innovated, pushing the sort of boundaries of, of what it is that we're doing. What what would you have to say to anyone listening to this podcast just now who's thinking I'd love to get out and start something here and change something here? What's your your sort of one big your your one big plea to anyone who who has that that mindset just now?
2: Yeah, for fear for fear of reprisals, and I'm sure somebody's already done this already. Just do it, literally, just do it. Get out there and find other people who can support you on your journey, that help you when things get down, that say no, you're doing the right thing. Carry on. And hunt out and always follow things like grants and money and assistance. Uh, One of the great things we have at Octopus is we have a 50-50 joint venture with the co-op called Unity that helps out with small grants and loans and with community-based projects. So they're there to help. We as Octopus, the bigger Octopus, are here to help as well. And there's some great, great people out there in uh, the uh, net zero energy hubs that can help direct you towards grants. So don't hesitate. Don't think about it. Just think, would it be good for me? Would it be good for my community? And then just focus on the aim goal. Agree, lose some battles to win the war, but literally target where you want to get to and die trying (laughs) because actually you know you're doing the right thing for you and others around you would think the same
1: (laughs) brilliant thank you so much emma this has been a really inspiring conversation and also just fantastic to hear not just what you've done in your own life but also what you're doing moving forwards now with octopus so thank you so much for joining us
2: thank you for having me
0: you've been listening to local zero If you've enjoyed this episode, please do suggest this to people you think might like it. Word of mouth is absolutely the number one way to increase our audience.
1: And if you're feeling generous and you listen on Spotify, please take a second to rate our podcast. We would really appreciate a five-star review. And if you listen on Apple, please leave us a review. This helps Local Zero climb the charts and reach a bigger audience.
0: And if you haven't already, please take a minute to find and follow us on X, the artist formerly Known as Twitter, at Local Zero Pod, to get involved with discussions there. Check out our website, localzeropod.com to listen to the back catalogue. And if you've got some longer thoughts, you can email us at localzeropod at gmail.com.
1: And one final plea, please do get in touch with us and tell us why you enjoy Local Zero and how you've used it in your work as we strive to secure funding to keep everybody's favourite local climate action pod going into the future. But for now, thank you and goodbye.
0: Bye, bye, bye. (music) Thank <music> you.